Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are finally back Yay. in the studio, studio with the three of us. Mm-hmm. Michael, it's good to be back. Shauna and Jeremy. Back. And today we have a special guest with us. Shauna, you want to tell us a little bit about who our special guest is this morning? Yeah. Uh, so Speak the Truth listeners, we're going to switch things up uh, today. We're going to do um, an interview and talk about some new books that was just released that will be of great help for you in biblical counseling or in the local church or even just those who are wanting to love on um, those uh, family family and marriage counseling. So we have Dr. Bob Kellerman with us today, and I'm so excited to uh, chat a little bit with him just to hear about what the Lord is doing in his life and the new books that he's just written. And for any of you who don't know who Bob Kellerman is, he is the academic dean Dean of Students and Professor of Biblical Counseling at Faith Bible Seminary in Lafayette, Indiana. Bob is also the founder and CEO of RPM Ministries, through which he speaks, writes, and consults on biblical counseling and Christian living. He also serves as the founding executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. And we're going to put more information about uh, a little bit more stuff about uh, Bob and what his website and and all uh, links to his books and things that he wrote and so this is a great contact for you to get familiar with all that he does for RMP Ministries. And I think the one of the main questions that I have, Bob, is, is do you sleep? <laughs> do you have time to like have fun and do anything? Oh, definitely, Shauna. And hey, great to be with you and Mike and the gang. Uh, yes, uh, Shirley and I, my wife Shirley and I have been married 39 years. Our 40th, big 40th anniversary is coming up in May of 2021. And uh, Shirley and I love hiking uh, we used to love biking. We were in northwest Indiana where it was nice and flat. Two years ago, we moved to the Seattle area where it's very hilly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but we moved, yeah, we, we moved out here to be near our son, Josh, our daughter-in-law, Andy, and our daughter, Marie. Our son, Josh, and his wife, Andy, have uh, three daughters. They're eight, six, and four. And so we love grandparenting. In fact, if I can wrap up my day by midday today, they'll be over for... Uh, three or four hours, and we're going to make gingerbread houses with them. You know, it's that time of year as we do this interview near Christmas. Oh, that's awesome! That's so fun. Yeah, you you tweaked my uh, interest when you uh, when you said Seattle and mountain biking and hiking. So yeah, yeah, Michael's more of an outdoorsman than me. So what we're doing, Bob, is we're we're training on a um, what's it called a stanchion bike or whatever stationary an assault bike, assault bike in a rower in our garage to get in shape to go mountain biking. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, you got to start. That's where we're at. So um, Jeremy, now you and Bob have known each other for a bit, huh? You guys have some history. You want to tell us a little bit about when you met Bob and I think the first time that I actually met Bob was at a Nank conference um in Indiana somewhere. Um and I think he was he had just maybe just published his first book, Soul Physicians, and uh, we got to know each other there. And then uh, shortly thereafter, he he began to be one of our guest speakers at our conference. And and then he got the uh, position as executive director and and launched the Biblical Counseling Coalition in an an amazing way. Um, And I don't know how far back that goes, but we have known each other for quite a few years. That's awesome. Yeah, Jeremy, I would think if that was when Soul Physicians was coming out, that'd be 15 years ago. And boy, when you talk about it, a name, 
Saint Conference. That goes back a ways because yeah, it's does. now an association of biblical, uh, certified biblical counselors. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's uh, awesome. Just, uh, Jeremy, it's interesting that, you know, normally you and I would be gathered with 50 to 75 fellow biblical counseling leaders at the Biblical Counseling Coalition uh, Leadership Summit. Of course, this year with the mm. COVID restrictions, we're not doing that. So at least I get to connect with you and the gang by phone. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Well, on September 15th, you had two new books released from Baker Books, your 19th and 20th book. Goodness, that's so awesome. Uh, and this is actually a two book series on marriage and family counseling. So those are the two books that we're going to talk about today. If you're by a computer and you want to look it up, it's called Gospel Centered Marriage Counseling and Equipping Guide for Pastors and Counseling. And then the second part is Gospel Centered Family Counseling and Equipping Guide for Pastors and Counselors, which is so needed uh, to help equip us in these areas. And so in this two um, book series, uh, you talk about two motivations for writing these books. One motivation was very personal to you, related to your ministry, and the other motivation was more broader, related to the way marriage and family counselors are typically trained. So could you share with us a little bit about that personal motivation? Uh, Sure, Sean. Prior to deciding to write these books, I'd been teaching marriage and family counseling for about a quarter century, and I provided marriage and family counseling for over three decades. Then the church I was at at the time in Northwest Indiana, the counseling pastor wanted to partially retire and he wanted to transition some of his cases to me. So I can remember very vividly sitting down with Pastor Gary. He reaches across his desk, hands me three very thick file folders and tells me that in his 35 years of ministry, these are three of the most difficult marriage and family cases he's ever worked with. I had a couple thoughts going through my mind. First, well, thanks a lot for giving those to me. But my second thought was maybe a little bit more arrogant, thinking something something like, well, you know, I've done this stuff and taught this stuff for decades. Uh, It won't be that difficult for me. And you can probably guess where I'm headed next uh, once I took on those cases for Pastor Gary. I found them to be some of the most complex marriage and family situations I had ever worked with. And I found myself, we talk a lot in the biblical counseling movement, and I talk about Romans 15, 14, and being competent to counsel. But 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 talks about we are not competent in ourselves, but our competency is in Christ. And so I found myself really experienced that incompetency in myself, even though I'd done this for decades. So These two books really grew out of a very personal need. I went back from Genesis to Revelation, scoured scripture. What does the Bible say? Not only about a theology of marriage and family, but how we really help people and disciple people in their marriages and families. So, yes, it definitely grew out of a personal desire to grow as a biblical marriage and family counselor. That's really awesome. And so when you think about that second piece on the broader motivation related to how we typically train marriage and family counselors, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, if you think about even Christian publishing, we could look right now at scores of great biblical counseling books on marriage and family life, theology of marriage and family, but you don't have too many books out there on the how-to of doing marriage and family counseling. It's really pretty similar in the Bible college seminary setting and curriculum. You might have a training, a lot of training in individual counseling, but really next to no training in the how-to of marriage and family counseling. And 
And I've seen that. I do a lot of supervision of counselors. So I've seen when counselors shift from counseling individuals to counseling couples and families that they do a couple things. One, they start teaching at couples and families because that's all they've been taught. They've been taught about families, so they teach at. And of course, biblical teaching is great, but that's not identical to biblical counseling. The other thing I've noticed is they do a lot of individual counseling with an audience. So they'll focus on the husband for a while, talk to him, the wife listens, focus on the wife for a while, husband listens. Or if it's family counseling, focus on the parents and the, and the children listen. You kind of get the idea. But they really invite very little interaction between the couple or among the family members. And here's the result that I'm trying to address in these two books. Counseling, counselees really become very counselor dependent. And counseling becomes giving people a fish instead of teaching couples and families how to fish the scriptures together. So here's my goal in gospel-centered marriage counseling and gospel-centered family counseling. I want to equip the counselor to equip the couple and the family to be their own best biblical counselors. Just this week, I was talking to a couple, and I saw them ministering to each other during the session, sharing their souls with each other, listening well. It's not like my job's just about done. They've been equipped to be sole caregivers for each other. And so that's what the books really want to do. Equip these counselors, pastors to equip couples and families. Well, that's a lot of equipping. Yeah, that is a lot of equipment. <laughs> that's really good, though, because I do think, and, and, and we'll get into this over a, little, a few more questions, but just I appreciate the approach to that because what that does is it does put the onus back on, on, on the parents, which God has endowed the parents to become the disciplers of their kids and then obviously demonstrate that in their marriage. So I appreciate that approach, Bob. It's good. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise, I, I think it's, first of all, just a, a wonderful addition to the literature and the biblical counseling community to have two books that are really emphasizing the how-to. I love that. And I love the fact that you're bringing into the counseling process more of an interactive approach, equipping the, the spouses to, to do the work. And so uh, I know that in your book, you do focus on f- what you call four compass points of sustaining, healing, reconciling, and guiding. And I know it might be uh, difficult to distill that uh, this into one brief answer in a podcast, but uh, I would love for you to introduce these compass points to us and then illustrate maybe what that would look like in a marriage counseling setting. Sure, sure. Well, and Jeremy, anytime you've heard me teach, you know, sometimes I can be a four-note teacher because sustaining, healing, reconciling, and guiding are really the heartbeat of the model that I teach. Mm. So maybe let me just very briefly, as you said, explain what that looks like in individual counseling and contrast a little bit what that looks like in marriage counseling. So sustaining and healing really focus on bringing biblical help and hope to somebody who's suffering. Throughout church history, uh, there was soul care for the suffering person. Sustaining really says to that individual, it's normal to hurt. We give people permission to grieve. As a biblical counselor, we empathize with suffering counselees and Mm. direct them ultimately not to ourselves, but to the Father of compassion Mm. and the God of all comfort. Then in healing, that communicates to a counselee, it's possible to hope we don't deny the suffering and the hurt, but we direct them to the, the God of resurrection hope in that healing process. Then those second two components, reconciling and guiding, that's really helping people with struggles with sin and and growth and progressive sanctification. Mm. So in reconciling it, we help people to see the horrors of sin, but even more so that the wonders of God's forgiveness, what it is to to repent, to confess, and to to find God's gracious 
forgiveness. And in guiding, we help that individual once they put off the old, what's it look like to put on the new way of living? So that briefly, Jeremy, is a summary of that. Those four, not compass points, as you you mentioned. Marriage counseling, I use those four, but I do them very differently. So let me use that first one, sustaining, as an example. Let's imagine that I just do sustaining for the couple and I don't get them sustaining each other. I'm nice. I'm empathetic. What's going to happen is the wife might say after the session in the car ride home with the husband, why can't you be nice and caring like Pastor Bob? Mm. You know, that doesn't help at all. In fact, that can hurt the relationship. Yeah. So certainly I'm going to empathize with one of the or both of the individual spouses. But even more than that, I'm really going to try and draw out the spouses. You know, and it's hard because uh, a spouse, they've hurt each other. What we really need to do is get them stopping, thinking, where's the log in my eye? Where have I hurt my spouse? And if we can get to a point where let's say the husband says, you know, man, hon, I really am beginning to realize as we talk to each other that, that I've been hurtful to you. I've been so focused on my own stuff, my own pain, that I've totally missed how much pain I'm causing you. Mm. Could you forgive me? I mean, if you can get a couple at that point, you can just about quit counseling because they're they're far on their way. So, so that's the concept. You get them sustaining each other, empathizing with each other. Mm. You get them healing each other. You help them to talk through what are biblical principles that we can use to apply to our a relationship issue. You get them reconciling each other, confessing sins to each other, repenting, forgiving each other. And then you get them studying scriptures together, guiding each other, empowering each other to be different types of husbands and wives. That's uh, in a nutshell what we try to do with couples in that sustaining healing reconciling and guiding model. That's excellent. And and Bob, if, if someone is reading gospel-centered marriage counseling, you, you have gone to great lengths to give them the how-tos of, of doing that within a counseling session? Absolutely. In fact, the whole book is really designed as a how-to user manual. If you think of that, the subtitle that Shauna shared with the listeners, an equipping guide for pastors and counselors. In fact, even the original subtitle uh, was a how-to training manual. And I really like to think of it, not just readers, but participants. Uh, throughout the book, each of the two books have 22 different marriage and family counseling competencies or counseling hmm. skills. And each chapter might have two or three that get developed. So I might talk about the counseling competency of helping a couple empathize with each other. At the end of those four or five pages of content information, then there's a page with four or five questions for the reader, the participant, that they can work through really as a skill building exercise. In fact, I've added it up. I think there's 250 skill development exercises in each book by the time you get done. Wow. Then there's two other ways, Jeremy, I try to make it that user-friendly manual. There's hundreds of counseling vignettes throughout the book. So we're not just talking theoretically, but I'm taking marriage situations, family situations, changing details and names, obviously, for confidentiality, but walking people through what's it look like to apply this skill with a couple. Then as part of that, there's hundreds, I don't know, there might be close to a thousand counseling dialogues or trialogues as we interact with couples and get our family members and get them interacting with God's word. So yeah, we definitely want to make it something where it's not just 
reading content, but developing counseling competencies. Which I really love that because, you know, ABC has lots of training programs where they're, you know, getting certified in biblical counseling. And then what's the next steps or what are things that they could do within their church? And so I I know that this says uh, for pastors and counselors, but do you think that's the primary audience or how other, what are other ways like the churches could actually utilize this within their church? Yeah, great. I like your word, Shauna, of primary, because certainly pastors and counselors are an audience I'm focused on. When I think about pastors, I think about, you know, and people that haven't been to Bible college or, or seminary, they may assume a pastor's had a you know a boatload of counseling courses, and typically at most they've had one, probably not even on marriage and family. And these pastors are facing, as we all know, more and more complex and difficult issues. So I am thinking about that pastor who has couples coming to them, families coming to them, and like, where do I start? And I want to help them increase their level of confidence in their competence and in Christ to really help families and, and marriages. Then I do picture counselors, but of course, you know, ABC trains thousands of counselors. That, that's a big word that can include licensed professional Christian counselors, but in our biblical counseling movement, probably more so, it's a thousand, hundreds of thousands of lay counselors. Mm-hmm. So I really want it to be a user-friendly manual for that that lay counselor. And if you know the way I talk about lay counseling, it's not only the formal ministry of biblical counseling, but the informal one and othering that ABC also is so focused on. So uh, you're in a small group and a couple starts sharing and you can tell there's tension. Maybe then after the meeting, you start using some of the principles to, to minister to them. And there's also the couples and parents themselves that I want to address. Each of the books starts with kind of a mini book, three chapters that could be read by the couple, by the parents to really walk through. We talked about, we don't get a lot of methodology of counseling. We get a lot of theology practice. Well, those first three chapters in each book are geared toward the couple, toward the parent, to give them a biblical foundation for marriage and parenting. So yeah, the books would be for pastors, counselors, couples, and parents. Yeah, I think this is um, certainly, you know, as the discipleship pastor here at my local church at Venture, I have <laughs> the uh, the unrelenting task of trying to uh, disciple uh, our our men and women and their families um, to be self feeders. To which actually really kind of takes us to um, uh, another question I'd like to ask. In gospel centered family counseling, you emphasize that family counselors don't replace parents; they empower parents. Can you develop that concept a little further for us? on that. And then I want to come back to that just um, as a, you know, as a, as a local pastor in the church. Sure. Sure. Well, it goes back to that uh, phrase with all the equipping words. You know, I want to equip the counselor to equip the couple or family to equip each other. And certainly it relates to that family counseling. I think a lot of times counseling can, if we're not careful, replace parents and empowering them. So think about family sustaining. We'll use that example again. Uh, You've got a, a family meeting with you, maybe the teen's angry, the, the parents are frustrated, everybody's confused and hurt. There's a lot of stuff going on and you work with the parents in particular to help them to begin to take the log out of their eye, begin to look at their teen's hurt. Just imagine that as you've done that, the parents are moved by God's spirit that they share something right in the counseling room with their teenage son, like, man, we are sorry for the hurt we've been causing you. We're finally beginning to, to get a sense and understand some of the discouragement you're feeling that we've been responsible for. And the Bible says, as we just looked with, with Pastor Bob, that parents are not to embitter and discourage their children, but we've been doing that. 
could you forgive us? Once again, you get to that point and it's like, man, you are ready to, to pass the baton and the, the parents have now become their, their teen son's best biblical counselor. Of course, ideally, the son is moved by their, their parents' humility. Now, that's going to take time and going to take them really seeing the fruit of repentance and the, the parents' life. But maybe over time, the son says something like, hey, it's not only you guys. I'm starting to see how I've, I've hurt both of you with my angry attitude. I don't, I don't like how I've been. I don't like how we've been. I'm not even sure how I change or we change, but I want things to be different. Then you start discipling those parents and that teen son to figure out what does it look like to put off the anger, the frustration, the hurtfulness, and to start really having a family that, that loves and equips each other. Yeah, it's really good. I, and, you know, just from a local church perspective, trying to, you know, and I mean, obviously in different churches, you've got different models where, you know, in a more family integrated church, it's going to be a little different, but in a church where you've got children's ministry, the parents are going to, you know, adult ministry or classes or what may be going on. It seems like, you know, everybody's sort of separated. So functionally it becomes the parents, you know, sort of delegate that task to Mm -hmm. the minister or the pastors of the church. And they don't really, you know, so they're abdicating uh, that responsibility to that. And so it's to to me, this is a huge uh, for those pastors out there and church leaders and lay leaders out there. This would be a tremendous tool to actually help from a leadership development perspective to help uh, in the local church context to get the family back into a family discipling context. Mm -hmm. Even though, yes, we go to church on Sunday and we sit under the instruction of the word, but the discipling happens throughout the week. and And I see where this where this uh, resource would be a tremendous tool in that respect. So good job on that, Bob. Thank you. You capture that very well. It's Dr. Bob. Okay. <laughs> no, Bob. Yeah, I, I totally, that's exactly what I was thinking. I love that you said that. I was thinking from the counseling perspective of how many families bring us the, the children, right, that they want us to counsel, like help my teenager with this. But in reality, yep. like it is, it's family counseling. They, they The parents need to come into the room and, and really be counseled in that way too. And so, um, and we get that all the time, the more the how to. Like we are really trying to focus a lot more on that from an ABC perspective of all the content and things that we're writing. How can we just go ahead and provide the tool that they can immediately put in front of the parent or the child and, and or the couple? And and so the fact that your manual is written, because quite honestly, you know, when you really talk to publishers, I'm sure you went through this conversation, Bob, where they're like saying, well, you know, when you only write it towards pastors and counselors, you know, you're limiting yourself. You know, how can we as a publisher, we like to publish books for the broader audience. And you've really done this well, though. You have you have been able to write in a way in a lot of your books where you are focused on the equipping piece, but it really can be read by everyone, you know? And so I don't know how you do that, but you do that well. So I'm thankful that we now have even new tools that you're continuing to provide for us. Let me ask you this, because you've written, what, 20 books at this point. Do you have like a, just a little fun thing? How do you, where do you write? Like, where's your go-to place to sit down and write? Yeah, for all you, you aspiring have, like, writers. Do you have a favorite chair? <laughs> do you have, do you schedule it every day? Like, give us a little writing tip. Sure. Well, I'm pretty much in my writing place right now. My desk that faces out to our, our front door here, our front window. Um, and I, I do tend to try to focus some time for writing, but you know, when you read my bio, I, I wear several hats, just like I know Jeremy certainly does. You do Shauna. 
uh, sounds like Mike too. So, you know, ideally it'd be great to have, Hey, I'm going to spend a whole week working on this, but I find myself, I'll spend a couple hours counseling, do some work for faith Bible seminary. Uh, then I'll do some writing, but you know, the, the benefit of that is when I start writing on counseling, it's not out of past stuff. You know, I just spent an hour counseling a couple and now I'm writing on counseling a couple. That, that's probably one thing. And you know, we tend to get this. You have real time writing material. You have real time writing material. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you well, just keep them anonymous. Well, maybe we should go get counseling from him. We'll give him lots of info. <laughs> well, what you do, you, you have a tender heart. I mean, all of us, all four of us on this call are counselors. And if we if are counseling with any integrity, it's like yesterday counseling a, an individual as he was praying at the end. I'm like, wow, that prayer is convicting to me. I've got to really think that through. Mm -hmm. So you also, as a writer, you get a more tender heart when you're a counselor, tender to people, and hopefully tender to the spirit working in your own life. So that, like I said, when I wrote this book, it wasn't just all those other folks that need help with counseling marriages and families. Man, I've been doing this a long time, but I still need help Mm -hmm. to grow in this. But yeah, I think that writing while you're in the throes of ministry makes your writing much more practical oh, and hopefully I powerful. That. I love that. So good. experiential, man. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, are we, do we need to get back to the book? <laughs> I yeah. just threw a little wrench in there. I just, I'm always so curious, like all those who write, it's like just imagining what it looks like in the movies where you have your heels and your background and you have, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, he does have a better view in Seattle to sit exactly. and ponder and reflect on deep things. In and- Texas, <laughs> what am I looking at? My shared fence of my neighbor. Yeah. Right. Well, so. unless you're in the rolling hills. But anyway, 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 completely pointless. But uh. so, Bob, w- one of the things you're emphasizing there is just we're all in process and we're all, you know, developing as counselors really for the rest of our lives as we counsel. And uh, one of the things that I I'm appreciating about uh, what we're talking about here with your book is that you really do emphasize and, and want to facilitate a context within counseling where families and spouses are actually talking to each other. You know, I also supervise uh, interns here in Texas. And uh, while that might sound like just a normal thing we would want to people to do in counseling if they're in marriage counseling, what I have found is that can be a little bit intimidating for the counselor that's a little less experienced, maybe because because uh, once you stop talking and get people to talk to each other, you feel a little less in control. Uh, so it, it seems like a natural idea that everyone would practice. Uh, but from your perspective, why is it seldom utilized and how can councils learn to do this well? Oh, you're definitely right, Jeremy. I think one of the reasons we don't do it is because so much of our training is in individual counseling. Mm. So we talk to them, talk at them. But one of the other reasons I think you, you began to touch on it, Jeremy, it's pretty scary and messy to get a hurting couple or a struggling family to talk in front of you. It's like, do I really want to hear this? I mean, it can, I mean, the four of us have counseled people. It can get explosive. It can get messy. So I think one of the reasons we can be a a little self-protective, I'm going to keep the conversation going and not get into the mess with that. But that really doesn't make sense because how do we provide timely appropriate counsel if we've not really firsthand heard the couple talk, the family talk? Mm. You no, know, what we always get in counseling is he said, she said, and they report on what happened four days ago. Yeah. Well, if you get them talking to each other, you can forget the he said, she said, because they're going to do that right in front of you. Yeah. Now, they may be on their best behavior at first, but if you probe, if you push, if you get them talking to each other, it's going to get messy right in front of you. 
And I think that's one of the values of doing it. I mean, it's going to happen. They're going to have messy, hurtful conversations either with or without you. Mm -hmm. Isn't it better to have it where you can coach them, you can minister to them? And, you know, it's hard sometimes because they want to turn back to you. I've literally taken my chair and moved behind a husband and wife or Mm -hmm. parents and teenagers and said, no, you two, you two, you three talk to each other now. And it it takes a while, but they get used to that. And what I typically do then is when they finally get talking, I listen, I may take some notes, I may point out some things, but I'll typically say something like, so is, is that what a typical conversation is like when you guys are struggling a bit? And they'll almost chuckle a little bit. Well, Really, it's even worse because we were on our best behavior because you were listening. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, wow, if that's the best behavior, it's got to be really messy. Hmm. I don't say that necessarily. But then we just start talking about their talking. So I heard this. And then we start drawing them out to the sustaining and healing. And maybe let's say that the husband is Jim. So Jim, put yourself in your wife Becky's soul for a minute. Can you give me and give Becky what you think it felt like for her during that conversation. And he might pretty quickly start to go back to himself and, you know, I've got to firmly, gently kind of, yeah, we'll get back to you and we'll ask Becky to do this for you. But can you really put into words what you think Becky was feeling during that? And that gets them talking, gets them sustaining, gets them through that process of, of using God's word and God's principles in each other's lives. That's wonderful. And, you know, some of our listeners uh, may be somewhat new at this. And, you know, I think my counsel to them would be to listen to you, to get this book and read it because we need more of this. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you because you said right there at the beginning, sometimes it can maybe get volatile and uh, uh, escalate quite a bit. When that happens, uh, you as a seasoned counselor, how do you deal with that? in that kind of a situation? Well, first, if it's a young counselor, as I'm sure you would do, Jeremy, we would encourage them to observe live counseling of a more experienced counselor, do co-counseling so they get that experience. Be supervised once they're doing individual counseling. But to your point, if it's happening in front of me, well, you know, there really are continuums, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of good writing I think finally being developed in our movement about abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. So we certainly want to play sometimes almost a policing role, if you will, uh, when that conversation in front of you gets to the point from hurtful to really abusive. And sometimes you just have to call a timeout. Mm. Sometimes you do end up doing some individual counseling. Uh, Okay, I'm going to meet this week with the husband. Then next week, myself and the women's ministry director and I, we're going to meet with the wife. And sometimes you really do have to work on their own hearts separately Mm -hmm. so they can get to the point of maturity to talk to each other together. But let's assume it's not at that level of abusive conversation, but at the level of hurtful conversation. They're right in front of you as you're describing. Jeremy, again, sometimes I'll point out what I've heard. Sometimes I'll share what I would feel like if I had heard that. Mm. And sometimes I'll ask the wife, what did you feel as your husband just shared that? Or the husband, what was going through your mind, heart, and emotions as you did that? And you try and get them to, to do that, take the speck or log out of their eye. And, and that's a huge part in marriage counseling in particular. We come with all these hurts. Can we just get one of the spouses, husband or the wife, ideally the husband is a leading shepherd in the home, to step back and say, okay, I've been hurt, but can I at least look at the speck of the log in my own eye? Can I take ownership for that? 
So a lot of different things. But, you know, one other thing I do, Jeremy, is I pray. Because though I've done it for 30 years, that's still intimidating to me. Yeah. I don't like a couple screaming at each other in front of me. Um, that's uncomfortable. So, you know, pray. Sometimes I'll even stop and say, hey, let's all just stop and pray. I'll pray for you. Let's all three pray right now. If I think they have kind of the emotional sense that they could do that at that point in time. So, uh, you know, my counseling enough, Jeremy, I call it sometimes spaghetti relationships because it's messy. Mm. So there's not one answer to your question, but I think I just gave you about half a dozen right there. It's good stuff though. It's, yeah. All good. And I think we could do what Michael does. He just turns it over to me because I actually like the mediation <laughs> piece. So, <laughs> so, but that could be encouraging though to local churches in a, in a way to just make sure that you're using your female counselors as well, you know, bring them into the session or, um, you know, maybe that's a good time. Time to, to split or come together, you know what I mean? And just really talk through the communication. But how many times have we been in counseling sessions where you're just praying in the moment? Like they're talking and they're working things out, but then you're mm-hmm. also praying like, Lord, help me in this moment yeah. to be able to uh, to eliminate, you know, or to give me the words to say to them. So, um, okay, so I know we're wrapping up and we, we want to honor your time, but I have to ask, you use a lot of acrostics in your books. And <laughs> I, I super duper love that. Like I love it, love it so much. But, you know, sometimes, Michael, you're not a big acrostic fan, are you? Yeah. I I mean, it helps remember. Yeah. 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 So I was just curious. Tell me why. Tell me why you love acrostics and why you use them a lot. How is this helpful to us as readers? Well, your illustration of you and and Mike, I think is spot on. Some people love them. Some people not so much. And, you know, I've taught in seminary and Bible college uh, settings and some of my students love them. Some of them don't. I'm just kind of wired that way. It helps me. But I do try to say, now I'm doing an update on my book, Equipping Counselors to Your Church, and I have a lot of acrostics in there. And I found myself as I was editing the book, even this week, the revisions, a number of times I say, now if this particular acrostic bugs you, just set it aside and don't worry about it. So they're helpful for me. For some people, it's a little too much, and I get that. But it's kind of like, ah, it's who I am. I want to write out of of who I am. Mm -hmm. But I do get that it's not everybody's thing. Well, I like it. So keep doing it. And then those who don't like it, they can just breeze over it, whatever. I'll be your bad guy. Yeah, there you go. Um, Well, Bob, I'm so thankful that you joined us today on Speak the Truth and and talked about your two new books. We have been uh, discussing today Gospel-Centered Marriage Counseling and Gospel-Centered Family uh, Counseling, which is an equipping guide for pastors and counselors, but technically a book for everyone. You can find uh, more out about these books and about Dr. Bob Kellerman at rpmministries.org. Michael will definitely put all of that information yep. in the show notes. And I tell you what, it's not just about these books. When you go to this website, it is jam-packed with information and helpful tools. And uh, man, you give us so many different recaps and guides and resources to grow as counselors. I'm so thankful for everything that you do, Bob. And and, um, and often wonder from a distance, how does he do all that? <laughs> but uh, you keep doing what you're doing. Is there any um, other places that they can find out more, or learn more about these books or, or you or anything besides uh, rpmministries.org? Yeah, well, first, thank you for those kind words, Sean, and thanks, I'm Mike and Jeremy. It's been great talking with uh, the three of you about the book. Uh, yeah, in addition to my site, certainly um, your typical e-tailers, Amazon. Christian book distributors, you can get those. Now, people can follow me on Twitter, 
at Bob Kellerman, my name, and I try and post a lot of links to free resources on Twitter. And started a couple years ago on Facebook, a Facebook group, Gospel-Centered Biblical Counseling and Equipping. There's now like 3,000 members of that group. And every day people are posting either questions about counseling that then you get 10 answers to or links to resources. Kevin Carson will put resources on there. Brad Hambrick, who uh, is a good friend of ABC. So that gospel-centered biblical counseling and equipping Facebook group is a great source just for free interaction with uh, fellow biblical counselors. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, we should have Kevin Carson on here. He has some really good blogs about sex. So that <laughs> would like that would tie right into marriage counseling, wouldn't it? I go. always go to his website for that. Like, I'm, yeah, no joke. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Dr. Bob, for joining us today on Speak the Truth. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next time.